we'll be reading verses 17 through 21. I've got to say, this passage is just about as difficult as that hymn we just sung. Uh, verse 18 and um, through 21 uh, is... Is, was quite a challenge to understand, and there are a number of different views, but uh, I hope that we'll be able to uh, see what God has to say for us here in this passage. Galatians chapter 2, beginning with verse 17. But if, in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. For through the law I died to the law, so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God. For if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, as we open up uh, this, your word, I'm reminded of Peter at the end of his second epistle and how he says that his brother Paul writes some things that are difficult to understand. Surely Peter had this passage in mind among others. Father, I ask for your wisdom, that you would be our guide, that you would be our teacher. Help us not only to understand this word, but help us to apply it to our lives. Help us to understand what it means to live in Christ. To experience not only the joy, but the power of being united to Him, both in His crucifixion and in His resurrection. We ask in Jesus' name, Amen. Umar Farouk Abdul Mutalib. This is the name of that 23-year-old Nigerian national who boarded the Northwest Flight 253 in Amsterdam in the country of the Netherlands, or as my family likes to say, the country of Holland. Uh, He boarded this flight on December 24th. It was bound to land in Detroit only a couple of days ago on Christmas Day. He had an explosive attached uh, to his leg. Some are even thinking that he may have even had an explosive implanted into his leg. I'm sure that the, the investigators know, but it hasn't come out clearly in the press yet. As the seatbelt light, seat belt lights, um, the seatbelt light uh, came on, signaling their descent uh, into Detroit, the passengers on the plane heard something that sounded like a firecracker going off in the middle of a pillow, so a muffled uh, small explosion as Abdul Mutalib tried to denote, uh, to detonate the explosive. 
a man named Jasper Syringa, a Dutchman, or as I'll call him, a Hollander, reacted immediately by tackling and subduing the terrorists. And this, this guy reminds us of um, Richard Reed, the infamous shoe bomber. And Richard Reed is the reason why we have to uh, pack our shampoo in clear plastic bags and take off our shoes when we go through the security at the airport. The question arose in my mind, why is Al-Qaeda so intent on attacking airplanes? Why don't they simply set bombs off in the shopping malls? Seems like that would be a lot easier. They don't have to go through all the security that they have to go through for planes. Why don't they just uh, blow up a bomb in a mall? Well, I think the reason why they have not pursued uh, that is, yes, they stand to kill many and maim many more. But when you consider how many people are in a mall, the thousands in a mall, and maybe only the 50 or 60 that, and that might be killed or hurt, well, that's a small percentage. But if you're able to bring down a plane, well, you kill everybody. The percentage is 100%. This wicked act attempted by Abdul Mutalib I hope, strangely it might seem to you, but I hope nonetheless that this will help illustrate one of the most precious and wonderful doctrines in all the Bible. Unfortunately, it's also one of the most overlooked and most ignored doctrines in the Bible. And this is the doctrine of our solidarity with Christ, of our union with Christ, of our being in Christ. This phrase, in Paul's 13 short letters alone, this phrase, and it's E-N, in Christu, um, appears 160 times in Paul's letters. You have on the front of your bulletin some quotes uh, that I want to call your attention to to help you understand what this idea of our solidarity in Christ or our union with Christ means. Martin Luther says, By faith you were so cemented to Christ that He and you are as one person which cannot be separated but remains attached to Him forever. Philip Graham Riken says the reason union with Christ is such a magnificent doctrine is that once we get into Christ by faith, then everything Christ has ever done becomes something we have done. It is as if we had lived His perfect life and died His painful death. It is as if we were buried in His tomb and then raised up to His glorious heaven. God attaches us to the events of Christ's life so that they become part Part of our lives, his story of the cross and the empty tomb becomes our story. And Sinclair Ferguson 
I got to learn this from his lips as he was one of my teachers. Because our union with Christ is, is earth in his flesh and his spirit and, and has his spirit as its bonding agent, we share in the implications of the great moments of his redemptive work. We are thus crucified, buried, raised, and ascended in him. Our lives are no longer determined by what Adam has done, but by what Jesus Christ has done. When you trust in Christ, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, places you into Christ. The way I like to illustrate this, and you've seen me do it several times before, is this this is us. When we come to Christ, the Holy Spirit places us into Christ. And no matter from what angle God looks at us, He sees Christ. And anything that's going to try to come and snatch us away from Christ has to go through Christ to get at us. And that's only half the story. Really, from another perspective, the reason that you trust in Christ is because you were chosen in Christ from eternity past. You were in Him in eternity. You were in Him in His life. Because it says that you were baptized with Him. You were in Him in His death. The Scripture says you were crucified with Him. You were in Him in His burial. We read it in the responsive reading. You were in Him in His resurrection. And because you remain in Him, you live a resurrected life. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 4. For He chose us in Him... For He chose us in Christ before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in His sight. The reason you trust in Christ is because you were chosen in Christ. Romans chapter 6, we already read it in our responsive reading. Chapter 6, verses 3 through 8. Don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into His death? We were therefore buried with Him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. If we have been united with Him like this in His death... We will certainly also be united with Him in His resurrection. For we know that our old self was crucified with Him so that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been freed from sin. Now if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with Him. The reason why I opened with this illustration of this terrorist who tried to bring down the plane is that the plane, the fate of the plane, determined the fate of the passengers. Had the the plane blown up in the air over Detroit, all of the passengers would have died. The plane did not blow up, therefore the plane carried all the passengers to safety. Our salvation is linked directly to our being united to Christ. 
He is the one who carries us to safety. Now before we look at our solidarity with Christ, we need to see why this um, idea of solidarity with Christ is so important to Paul. So we need to look at the text. And as I've already alerted you, it can be a, a difficult, it is a difficult text. What he's doing in verse 17 is he's answering an objection. It was a common objection. He answers it in uh, Romans chapter 2 and 3. He's answering it again. He answers it elsewhere in his letters. And the objection basically is this. Paul, if you're saying that I am justified in Christ, Paul, if you're saying that all my sins, my past sins, my present sins, my future sins have already been forgiven me because Christ already paid for them, then doesn't that mean that I can sin all I want to because my sins have already been forgiven? This was a common objection. And so this is what Paul's answering when he says in verse 17, If in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? In other words, if Christ, because of his justification, because of his forgiveness that he purchased for us, is is Christ becoming a servant of sin by allowing us to sin uh, with impunity? And Paul says at the end of verse 17, certainly not, absolutely not, or as it has in the Greek, meganoita. And that's a strong way of saying absolutely not. And then Paul says in verse 18, if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. Basically, Paul saying, if I rebuild the law... Um, in other words or if I rebuild it in other words if I return to the law as a means of um, becoming righteous I prove that I broke it by admitting that I tore it down and what he's doing is he's really taking a jab at Peter um, to show the Galatians uh, Peter's error he's using Peter as an example because remember back up in um, verses 11 through 14 Peter had been separating he had separated himself well first of all he had been eating with the Gentiles and then he separated himself from the Gentiles when the group from James had come in and so he was in effect telling the Galatians, the the, the Gentiles, that they were second-class citizens by separating himself from them. And so Paul's essentially saying here that Peter, by eating, or not eating with the Gentiles, but rather eating with the circumcised group, he is rebuilding the law after having torn it down by not by eating with the Gentiles before the Jews had come in the first place. And so Peter condemns himself. And then he goes on in verse 18, and he says, The law killed me, basically by showing me I was already dead. I'm sorry, this is verse 19. For through the law I died to the law so that I might live to God. In order to understand this, we need to consider the fact of our solidarity with Adam. 
we not only are in solidarity with Christ as Christians, but every person who is in this room is also in solidarity with Adam. Adam was our first parent. When he fell, when he sinned, we sinned in him. Uh, All of you who have been born... Born were born with Adam's sin. In his death or in his sin, you sinned. In his sin, you died. Listen to Romans chapter 5. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, and death through sin, and in this way death came to all men because all sinned. Paul's argument here is that the reason death is in the world is because of Adam's sin. And death was in the world before the law was given. So sin was in the world before the law was given. Because the law wasn't given until Moses, death came with, first of all, with, um, I mean, Abel, and, um, and it came spiritually to Adam and Eve on the day that they died. So he says, um, for, for before the law was given, this is Romans 5.13, sin was in the world, but sin is not taken into account where there is no law. There, nevertheless, death reigned from the time of Adam to the time of Moses, even over those who did not sin by breaking a command as Adam did, who is the pattern of the one to come. In other words, Adam died because of sin even though the law was not given until thousands and thousands and thousands of years later basically returning to our little illustration of the terrorist on the aircraft the plane carrying all humanity crashed into the earth shortly after takeoff and everyone on board died spiritually. All of us were on board. All of us died spiritually on the day in which Adam died. Genesis 2 verse 17 God said you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil for on the day you eat of it you will surely die. And Paul says that we sinned in Adam's sin. Paul confirms it in Ephesians 2, verse 1. He says, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. What's Paul saying? Let's make this very personal. Paul is saying that you are a sinner. Paul is saying that you were born as a sinner. Paul is saying that you were born dead in your sins. Paul is saying that evil lives inside you. Paul is saying that there is no one who does good because of Adam's sin that we are born with. Paul is saying that your tongues practice deceit because of the sin of Adam. Paul is saying, this is I'm quoting from Romans chapter 3, your mouths are full of bitterness and cursing, not because of your upbringing or your example that was provided for you, 
because of Adam's sin. Ruin and misery mark your ways because of Adam's sin. By nature, and I'm quoting from Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 and 5, by nature, because of Adam's sin, you are objects of wrath. All this because of Adam. You participated, I participated, my children participated in Adam's sin. We all participate in his nature and we all participate in his condemnation. And the law's function is to confirm it. The law, by definition, brings a deadly curse upon you. But what it does in reality is confirms the curse that is upon you. The law brings a deadly curse upon you by confirming your guilt, by confirming that your soul indeed is condemned. Now, that's some good news. The good news is each sin that you commit does not drive you further away from God. The bad news is that each sin that you commit confirms that you already were away from God at your birth. You can't be driven any further away from God than you were at your birth. You were dead in your sins. You were condemned in your sins at your birth. And the law brings a deadly curse upon you by placing itself completely outside your ability to conform to it. The law is a reflection of God's holiness. And in order for you to be able to conform to the law, you must be divine. And that's D-I-V-I-N-E, not D-I-V-I-N-E. Rose and David and Gina. The law is completely outside your ability to conform to it. In fact, I would say you stand you stand a much better chance at taking a running leap and jumping across the Grand Canyon at its widest point. You stand a much better chance of landing on the other side than ever completely, perfectly conforming your life to just one of God's laws. At your very best, you have never loved God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. You have never once in your life perfectly conformed yourself to God's law. You were born spiritually guilty. You were born condemned. And the law's purpose is to drive that point home into our life. Every time that we don't conform to the law, it's like the law sticking a knife in us and twisting, twisting, and twisting, showing us that we are a sinner, showing us that we are condemned, showing us that we need God's grace. And that's what Paul's saying here in verse 19. 
For through the law I died to the law so that I might live to God. He knows that he doesn't need to conform to the righteousness of the law in his actions to stand justified. The law's purpose was to kill him. Through the law I died to the law. And so now I'm free to live to God because I don't need to to justify myself by my own works of righteousness. And Jesus Christ is the only safe refuge from the deadly curse of the law. Jesus, first of all, was excluded from the deadly curse of the law. That's why he had to be born a virgin, uh, from a virgin. Uh, he could not be a descendant of Adam because the curse of Adam's sin could not be applied to him. That's also why the Bible emphasizes that he lived a a sinless life. He kept the law perfectly. He loved God with all his heart, with all his soul, and with all his mind perfectly. We are never able to do it. Jesus did it every moment of his life. And the good news is, Christians are united to Christ. His curselessness, if you will, His being free from the curse, is ours in Him. His perfect life is ours in Him. That is good news. We are in Christ. You could say that all Christians are buckled up safely into their seats, flying air Jesus. Jesus is the pilot. There's no better, no safer place we could be. The problem is, Jesus, as the pilot, you know what he did? He took the stick and he drove it straight down. Wayne McKinney, what would happen if you take the stick and push it all the way down to the floor? What would be the end result? Yes, a, a taking a nosedive right into the earth. That's what Jesus did as the pilot of air Jesus. What Jesus did was he submitted himself to the deadly curse of the law. Though he knew no sin, though there was no curse that stood against him, he took his life and he submitted himself to that deadly curse of being hung on a cross. He became sin for us. And he took us with him. The scripture says he was cruci- we were crucified with him. We died with him. We were buried with him. But the good news is we were also resurrected with him. Look at verse 20. Uh, Jesus, uh, Paul says, For I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. That is one of the most precious phrases in all the Bible. When you're having a a difficult time in life, 
being able to sit down and meditate on this phrase, He loved me and He gave Himself for me. You died in His death. You were crucified with Him. You were raised to life in His application or in His in His resurrection. This means several things. It means, first of all, it is not your will or your effort or your faith that placed you into Christ. Rather, it is because you were in Christ, you were chosen in Him before the creation of the world, that it was because of that that Christ changed your will. He empowered your effort and He has worked faith in you. It is not your will or your effort or your faith that keeps you in Christ. It is Christ who keeps you in Christ. And He motivates your will. He empowers your effort. He builds your faith. Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. Christian, you no longer live, but Christ lives in you. Let's consider, and we're just about to wrap up, but let's consider this idea of you no longer live. The person you were before you came to Christ no longer exists. You are a new creation in Christ Jesus. 2 Corinthians 5.17 What does this mean? Well, one thing it certainly means is that you no longer belong to yourself. You no longer live for yourself. As Paul says, you live by faith in the Son of God. You live for Him and His kingdom. So what does this mean? Well, he says that you are to pay your tithe. 10% of your income. You live for him and his kingdom and you pull out your wallet. It means, as the scripture tells us in Thessalonians, to pray without ceasing. And so you hit your knees. As Paul tells us in Romans uh, chapter 5, you are to rejoice in your sufferings. And so when persecution or suffering comes, you throw a party. He says to do everything without complaining or arguing. And you say to him, I agree with that. He says to do evangelism. And so you open your mouth for Jesus. Now, if you're listening carefully, you may be saying, it sounds to me like you're rebuilding the law. It sounds to me like you're telling us a whole lot of stuff that we have to do in terms of obedience. But here's the good news. You no longer live. You belong to Him. You live for Him. But the scripture goes on in verse 20. The life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. You live for Him. He lives for you. He empowers your obedience. When He is at work in you, you can do things that you would otherwise think that you could not do. 
when He is at work in you, you can say along with the along with the Apostle Paul, the, uh, "I can do everything through Him who gives me strength." When He lives in you, you can say along with Paul, "I am more than a conqueror through Him who loved me." He transforms you. He empowers you. He keeps you. Your life is in Christ. Do you believe it? Think about that. This is the best news that I could possibly give you today. That in that you live in Christ and He lives in you. You don't have to live an ordinary life. You don't have to live like everybody else in the world. You live in Christ. Everything that He is for us, everything He's done for us, becomes yours. And He lives in you. Let's pray together. Our Father and our God, I feel like if I preach this every day to my own heart, I wouldn't preach it enough because I too often forget about your promises. Harden my heart after the things that I want rather than what you want and I forget the power that you give me to pursue the things that you would have me pursue. Father, I ask that you would prick our hearts since you live inside us by your Spirit. Prick us every time that we begin following after ourselves rather than after Jesus. Father, remind us of your great power that is at work within us. Help us not to be content with living like the world, but help us to live for Jesus with the power that He gives us. I pray in His name. Amen.